Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. So, hi everybody. Joining me today, we have Madeline Monroe. Yes, you got the name. That's right. It's Monroe. Um, uh, Madeline is a sexologist, a psychosexual somatic therapist, specialized in relationships and intimacy from a trauma-informed perspective. This is a lot. Can you explain a little bit better what you do? And hello. <laughs> hello again, Madeline. <laughs> Hi. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Um, yeah, so I specialize in relationships and intimacy, but I come at it from a trauma-informed approach. I believe that um, trauma is like the root of uh, our wounds and our wounds are what play out in relationships. So for example, often our relationship or intimacy issues actually stem from um, the trauma within ourselves and that's actually just being mirrored in mirrored to us in our partnerships. Um, so by connecting with ourselves in that way, then we can understand ourselves more deeply and then have more fulfilling sex, partnerships and intimacy. And where did your passion for this work come from? Yeah, my own healing, really. So I really struggled with intimacy growing up and I was, my attachment style was anxious avoidance. So I was in quite a push-pull with people. And um, I started on my spiritual path and my healing path um, in my late teens. And I got very much into like the passion meditation and silent retreats and was very, um, like strict with it and to the point where in my early 20s I actually contemplated uh becoming a nun because I thought this is the way like this is what I want to do and I felt so much peace in those times when I wasn't talking to others I felt so much in deeper connection with myself in my with myself and it wasn't until uh I was in northern India and I all of the, the retreats and trainings I've been on have been separate sexes. So men and women have been separate and I've been really dropping into my meditation practice. And then for this one training, the men and women weren't separated. And I noticed in myself, I was like, wow, I'm like really anxious. Like This is bringing up stuff for me. And I kind of had this like epiphany where I realized that I feel much safer by myself, but actually like I'm avoiding the richness of life. Like it's much easier for me to be by myself and actually perhaps can I turn more towards connection? Is that really where my healing is next? And I thought seriously, well, if I do want to become a nun and become a recluse and really focus on my spiritual development, I can do that. But I'll give myself the chance of turning towards this kind of intimacy stuff and just see what it brings up. And then if it, if I don't enjoy it, I can always come back to the stricter path, but I'll just see, I'm a young uh, woman and I'll see what happens. And it just opened up so much for me. And I was like, wow, I wish this was taught in schools. I wish this was taught everywhere. So I, yeah, that became my path really. I love your journey. It's so interesting. Yeah. And what's most interesting about what you just told me, um, it's the fact that, you know, you went from something very strict to now being very open about um, intimacy and sexuality and relationships. How do you feel that feels for you? You know, how did you overcome that anxiety that you were feeling before? Mm, I really love the way you phrase your questions. It's so beautiful. Um, 
Yes. Yeah, so what I noticed was like, I guess the key piece for me in terms of healing is like integration. So these parts were almost like exiled parts of myself that I was trying to, I was trying all these different healing methods or spiritual methods to become whole. And actually I needed to heal, like bring back those exiled parts, those needs, those desires that I'd abandoned in order to be loved. Because I feel like, and this is what I work with clients with, it's like, we all want to be loved and be loved for who we are. And often growing up, like we develop these mechanisms uh, to get our needs met, you know, thinking this will help us be loved more. And so really my path was coming back into this. And my phrase for my work is like, all of you is welcome. It's like, can we bring total acceptance to all parts of ourselves? And through that, we develop more self-compassion, awareness, and actually like deeper integration of our most authentic selves to then meet another with this. Wow, that's that's very deep because it's it shows how sometimes you don't even know, you know, that you're doing that to yourself, right? You know, um, repressing feelings and thoughts, right? Yeah, totally. Because if we look at the framework of um, growing up, like our our parents may not may or may not be able to give us all of our needs growing up, our developmental needs. So therefore, we may change our behavior to try and get those needs met because um, we can't turn away from our primary caregivers. We need to go towards our mum to be fed. We need to go towards our parents, uh, our dad or our non-binary caregivers so that we can get the needs we need to kind of feel whole growing up. And so therefore, in adulthood, we may still have these patterns of uh, trying to get those needs in this way. So, for example, this is where like trauma bonding can like come into play because we're thinking like certain behavior patterns mirror what our parents may may have had. And we think that's how we can receive love or be loved. And it's not. It's a familiar pattern where our needs may have not been met. And we think that's the best way to, to do this. Yes, makes sense. You talk a lot about trauma, but I believe you talk about trauma in a different way. So it's not like somebody was assaulted, that happened, it's past, and now I'm in the present and I need to deal with one specific thing that happened in the past. You talk about it in a different way. Can you explain to us what it is and why you feel that a lot of people have trauma, ongoing trauma, I mean? Yes. So I find that um, society views trauma as like an event. We, we know about PTSD. We know about being in war zones or crashes or losing loved ones as trauma. But what we're really starting to understand now is actually, so that's event trauma, but what we're going to the grips with is like developmental trauma. So this is where growing up, our needs weren't met by our parents and we carry this forward with us. And so therefore, even if we haven't gone through a big event in life, often we'll have these little nuances in our beings that we'll then take to other people as a result of these kind of situations that we may have had um, as children. Does that make sense? Or would you like a bit more clarity amongst this piece? No, no, it makes sense. The only thing that I struggle with with this um, vision, maybe it's not struggle, but it makes me question is that like, I'm a mom, so I have two children. Mm. Oh, amazing. They're so lucky to have you as a mom. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm very lucky to have them as my children, by the way. Mm. But I struggle to make sure that, you know, I teach them all that I can, that I give them the um, knowledge that I can. I have a six-year-old and I have a two-year-old. So the two-year-old is still little, but the six-year-old, you know, it's important to have those open, open conversations. I don't want her to feel that I have in some way 
hindered her or you know not given her what she needs but at the same time is it is it fair to have all of this weight on parents if you know what i mean i'm, I'm not trying to be um mean by asking this but it's 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 a it's a real struggle i think for parents you know how do i make sure that i'm the best that i can but at the same time children are feeling that they're not getting what they need yeah so this is like the beauty of uh like secure attachment like it doesn't need to be a hundred percent um attached like i think there's like I need to remember the statistic um, here, but you it doesn't have to be all the time. It's like that basis. And it sounds like what I'm hearing is putting like quite a lot of pressure on us, on yourself and as parents, as, as we may, um, in terms of trying to do the best we can. And I think if we perhaps take a step back and we understand that like trauma may just be that any time that something happens that our system can't fully process. And so perhaps as parents, can we understand that perhaps when our child um, is distressed, it's like perhaps they need to be heard, you know, and we can already see how many changes have happened within society when we've gone from like spanking as a way to discipline a child to actually understand if they're acting out, what is it that you need? While also knowing that we can teach through boundaries. Um, and so these kinds of methods, um, rather than thinking that we've got to get it all right, because I don't think any parent is going to get it 100% spot on. And that's part of what makes us all human. So if, if I get it correctly, it's not really thinking about how not to create trauma, because that's very hard. You know, everybody does their best, but how to deal if that happens, you know, listen to what the child is feeling or, or somebody. Yeah. So if we like, I think trauma has got such a, a heavy connotation, you know, it's like we hear the word and we think, gosh, this is so big. And this is part of, of my work is like, trauma can be the simplest thing. It can be like at school when the teacher didn't recognize our answer. So those small moments. And what I love is how uh, Gabor Mate describes it. It's like, it's not the external thing that happens. It what, it's actually what happens inside of us as a result of that. So then as parents, these things may happen. Children may get scared. They may hurt themselves. You know, they may cut their knee. That itself could be a trauma, but it's like, how can we see the signs of potential nervous dis, dis, nervous system dysregulation? So perhaps seeing if they're a bit activated and they're upset and be present with them. Like loving connection is one of the best antidotes to healing like trauma, being present with the process that's going on because we can't avoid all the external things that happen in life. It's about processing in a way that allows it to integrate within the body and that we can let go of that response um, in the future. We don't have to keep reenacting it out. What I've loved about, about this very short conversation so far is that it really made me reassure um, that it's not about doing the best job in the world, which you always try, but it's, it's really about trying to do the best job in the world afterwards, you know, when you feel that something is wrong. So thank you for, for that help. Yeah, you're so welcome. Well, we can't always stop life can be so messy you know and life happens um it's like for example a, a few months ago I broke my ankle and you know it just came out of nowhere I was walking along and it's like noticing in those moments wow like I'm in a bit of fight or flight right now there's nothing I could have done about this event but how can I soothe my system so that I don't keep reenacting this fear because with trauma what happens is our body goes into an embodied emergency response so it's going to fight flee uh, freeze fawn these type of hyper and hypo arousal states to keep us safe and then 
what what we want to happen is like that process to be complete so it's let go of within the body it's resolved if we don't allow time for that to be completed then that's when it can play out afterwards so for example that's where we may get ptsd so we may get a bit of shock or fear so i noticed a bit afterwards then i was a bit afraid of walking along the same path where i broke my ankle because i was thinking like oh wow this is where it happened so it's like about really processing and feeling what comes up feeling those emotions that that event may bring up for us yes i completely understand But how can trauma actually influence the way that people interact with others sexually or themselves? Mm, I love this question. Um, Yeah, so the way I view like uh, sexuality is like a greater mirror of other stuff going on. Um, So it's kind of like I kind of see it as the tip of the iceberg. So we perhaps clients come and Uh, with stuff to do with sexuality and it's really just showing us what other patterns are playing out but it's first arisen within the bedroom if that makes sense so it's like an indicator of what else is going on in life so for example in terms of like uh sexually one of the one of the main things i may see arising from like trauma is not knowing what our needs are So clients may come and not actually know what they want or need sexually. And therefore within this, it kind of creates a ripple effect because then they don't know their yeses and nos in their body. So they may not be able to consent. And then they may dissociate from their bodies or go into fawning response. So it's like noticing these patterns that may arise and they may not feel like it's safe to set boundaries and all these kinds of relational issues that can show up um, in this way from like early developmental trauma. And if somebody that's listening to us and, and feels that they might be in this path where they feel that, you know, trauma has affected them sexually, what are the key signs that they must be looking for to understand if that's the case And also, how can you help them solve them, uh, solve that out in these uh, few seconds and not (laughs) a couple of consultations that I'm sure are needed? Yeah, so there's such an array of of ways that it may show up in terms of, as I've spoken about, like relational dynamics and also within the body. So that could show up within patterns actually with physically. So for example, um, the way that our bodies respond to intimacy for those in female bodies, pain or something like this. And for men um, experience with um, their erection. So those physical aspects, but something that may be more present um, ahead of this is like the relational aspect of perhaps not enjoying sex so not enjoying it so noticing perhaps not looking forward to it not looking forward to intimacy when we're having it when we're in that experience perhaps checking out perhaps feeling some numbness perhaps being in our head so real simple signs they're actually quite normalized by like the media or society you know how many films have you watched where like someone's having an inner narrative in their head while while having sex and that's part of like 
um, like in a response, you know, we're, we're not present within our bodies. So perhaps people may, may come and just say, actually, I'm, I'm not fully enjoying it or I'm not, I, I, I don't want to go towards it or I, I'm avoiding it or something doesn't feel right. These are all small little avenues that are showing us, okay, perhaps there's a small piece for us to look more deeply in. Perhaps there's a part that we can bring back into deeper integration to help us find more joy and pleasure within the body and with each other sexually. So not just pretend that everything's all right, although I'm out of my body thinking about something else, but communicating with your partner about that. Yeah, because this also is such a big piece in terms of, in terms of um, within trauma, one of our, our responses is also a sense of belonging. So we can go into fawn and we can want to maintain the connection and abandon ourselves. So this is really common in intimacy and sex because we want to like, we want this person to stay next to us. We want, we want to keep going perhaps with this interaction and therefore we kind of either come out of our bodies or we aren't in touch with what we need to maintain that connection. And that's what you kind of alluded to here of this narrative that, that kind of seems in like popular culture of, of like just pretending everything's fine when actually that's a trauma response in itself. Yes, I agree. And um, I, I understand that it's not that hard to try and solve it. Maybe the solution might not be easy, but, you know, starting those steps in that journey, um, I don't think it's, it's that hard if you want to and if you acknowledge it, right? Yeah. And with this, I would, I'd start with like a whole big dose of self-compassion if we can, you know, like really providing like such a soft cushion for us to really land on knowing the difficult feelings that can, can arise from, you know, taking on this work and this healing. And with this, it's like, I would really recommend like small titrated steps. So like titration means when we literally do like one drop at a time, you know, that like 1% change. And what this allows is that our nervous system to stay regulated rather than taking on so much that then our nervous system becomes dysregulated and then we can not integrate that experience. So it's about these small steps. So perhaps it's if for those in partnerships, it's like perhaps opening up a dialogue, like just starting with a conscious conversation around sexual intimacy. This is what I love clients start with. It's like, what do you like about sex? What do you not like about sex? What do you like that I do? What kind of aftercare do you need? What comes up when I do this? What could make this better for you? And these kinds of questions, so we just start this dialogue because I feel like communication is the key here to creating more fulfilling sex in this trauma-informed way. Yes, I, I, I understand your view. And I think it's a great, a great tip to start that journey. But do you think that society treats trauma and these desires and uh, wants differently in men, women, and non-binary people? Yeah, so this is um, a whole topic in itself um, because what we're really tapping into here is the re-traumatization of not receiving the support and the resources we need to heal from the trauma in the first place. So like at each gender, all the different genders that are present, um, may have different nuanced needs in order to resolve the trauma in the way that they feel best in their body. And so 
society still views gender in quite a binary way. So there's actually very little chance that those that don't identify as uh, male or female are going to be able to find the resources unless finding um, queer specialists themselves, non-binary specialists, which there are out there and and brilliant um, people um, themselves. And then for those that identify as men and women, we've got the lasting effects of toxic masculinity and patriarchal values, which are a lose-lose for both men and women in terms of for men, you know, not receiving that support that they may need in terms of opening up their feelings and these kind of assumptions that are placed on those that identify as men um, that haven't been, that haven't created a foundation for their own healing and growth. And then we've got on the opposite, those that identify as female, that also of not being heard um, and appreciated and really peeling back the layers of patriarchy in the opposite way. So we're here, when we look at gender and, and healing trauma, there's such a, it's like what Gabor Mate describes as uh, like, uh, we ha- live in a trauma sustaining society. So he hasn't put it specifically to gender, but what he talks about is that we're getting our artificial needs met instead of our core needs met. So here that's where addiction may start because the resources and support aren't available for us to actually meet those wounds, meet those feelings of belonging and this is my issue and how can you meet me in this? So therefore we may turn towards other things such as addiction to kind of almost put a band-aid on it. And so what do you think are the tools that people might need when they start experiencing that trauma might be affecting their daily lives or their sexual lives? Mm, great question. So I would start with like a wide base of support. The wider and like more varied base of support we have, the more deeply we can meet the wounds of our ourselves and our trauma. So this is where I... And it's not, it's a very much a privilege to be able to get this support in terms of therapy or coaching. But I do recommend it to people to have that person that they can take their stuff to. Um, that I recommend firstly, especially as we may delve into deeper um, parts of themselves and just knowing that they're held in this way. Um, and then it's things like the way I view it is perhaps if we're, changing the ways of being it's like how can we create a space between who we used to be and who we're growing who we're becoming into so that may look like as I spoke about before like this titrated approach these small steps of practicing perhaps if we can coming more into the body but in a titrated way and so perhaps that's starting a practice of meditation, perhaps that's starting a yoga practice, but for these ways to just slowly come home to our bodies as a place of like safety, which may not be available to everyone. And this is where like support. So if one-on-one is, isn't available, perhaps there's a group program or if there's books uh, or even like those snippets from Instagram or your podcast, all these resources of information that are available 
that can help us to like integrate this information because when we come into the body that's all if that's where our emotions are held that's where we might find it a bit more difficult so it's like how can we know that we've got that support that if stuff arises we also have the resources to meet that yes yes i always get a little bit quiet after you talk because it i process a lot you, you say so many interesting different things it's i think it takes time to process and to understand everything that you said because it's it's very deep um and i was thinking with with what you're saying is that is there a life after trauma what i mean is how can somebody you know put aside something that has happened and actually overcome that trauma and uh you know open a new chapter and start enjoying a more fulfilling sex life yeah so with this question i would say i feel like actually there's a possibility for an even better life an even more fulfilling life after trauma and it reminds me of this phrase of you know like the wound is where the light gets in it's really where like life can start for us here and I, I use the image with clients of like cleaning our rooms or cleaning a pan. You know, if we start with our room and it's a bit, it's a bit messy, but it's not that bad, but we want to reconfigure it around. We take everything out, we look at it and then everything feels really messy. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff here. But then by the end, the room is even clearer and tidier. You know, it feels even better. And like, whoa, but that middle part, it can feel a bit challenging. And so yes. for those that have experienced, yeah, you know, resonate, yeah. Um, the analogy is great. I've definitely stopped midway and thought, oh, why did I start, you know, cleaning this room? But it just, yeah, it really enacts that piece of once we become aware of our stuff, it can feel like, wow. And so for those that have been through trauma, I would say like it's such a, a portal for our greatest transformation here. It's such a... I almost see it sometimes it's like a waking up into our most fulfilling lives because it can like drop us into a deeper sense of presence that might not have been there. If we perhaps been sleepwalking through life or just things that can kind of like wake us up in a bit, wake us up and think, wow, what's really important to me? What are my needs right now? How do I need, how can I meet these? And then what in my life needs to change so that I can then become the person that I want to understanding myself more deeply now. And how do you, how can you come to a place like that? To that place of light, you know, you have the wound, uh, it's already healing or healed but that place of light, I think it's it's where everybody wants to be. And I'm sure that more trauma will come in, in, in the middle mm. that you keep healing and keep, uh, you know, getting past that. Do you think communication is, is key in this path? Yeah, totally. Um, communication is key. And I love the way you described like trauma can keep coming. The way I view it is like a spiral, like healing isn't linear, perhaps we'll spiral back into our stuff. But each time we meet it, it will be through a different lens. And often with like greater wisdom and resource to see the situation differently here. And for those that um, are thinking, you know, how do we get to the light? It's like, just practice like slowness and patience, you know, and I look back at my own life and I remember the kinds of relationships I used to have and the kinds of relationships I have now. And I think, thank goodness, like I had wake up calls, thank goodness these things happened to me so that I can now 
live life more differently. Um, and it's, it's such a, a beautiful expansion in this way, but I really recommend like that patience and that slowness. We live in an urgency culture where we kind of want to do things really, really quickly. And if we've spent, you know, 30, 40 year, 50 years living life a certain way, you know, it will take time for us to unwind these patterns of who we are and to create space for new neural pathways to form so that we can create new ways of being with ourselves and with others. And what if you're on the other side? So what if you feel okay, you don't feel that you have like major trauma that you need to solve, but your partner does and you want to help them? What, how can we do that? What is the healing process that you suggest, at least in the beginning stage? Oh, what a beautiful like, question. And so first of all, if, if someone resonates with this, just really appreciating the compassion at meeting someone, a partner that may have like event trauma in their past or developmental trauma that's showing up perhaps in their bodies or in their attachment system or the way that they're relating to you. So just really holding like such appreciation for this um, as we show up as like relational beings meeting each other in this way. And so, like you said earlier, I really recommend like the foundation is like communication you know, so having these vulnerable conversations and perhaps this feels difficult, you know, we're not taught growing up to kind of sit with someone and ask, hey, like, what do you need from me in this moment? Or like, I love the kinds of questions. It's like, what do you need from me when you may be feeling triggered? Because when we're triggered, our social engagement system within our brain actually turns off. So we can't relate like what you and I are relating now, we're relating from a survival response. So for those that are in with partners that may have more substantial trauma in their past, it's like, okay, so when you're triggered, what do you need from me? Does is fight your normal response in which you may want to like initiate an argument? What do we need for you to come back into deeper nervous system regulation, deeper presence um, for us to then move through this together as a team because within trauma it's like maybe conflict may arise more so and it's like how can as a couple or throuple or you know however people are coming into partnership it's like how can we move through these difficulties as like you and me versus the difficulty versus the trigger versus, rather than you versus me so finding that healing connection together Yes, I, I love the sentence that you used. So it's not me versus you, it's us together. You know, it's the, it's our problem, not just your problem that we're trying to fix. Um, something that we do in our app, I was thinking if it's, if you think it's like, like a good tool. So on our app, we have a section that's called Let's Talk About Sex. And the challenges mm. that appear on, those, on that section is the challenges that the couples don't agree with. So... Let's say the challenge said today, try a tantric massage and it explains why. And if I've accepted and my partner hasn't or vice versa, it will appear that on that section. And our objective as a brand was to help couples discuss that so that afterwards they can decide if they want to, after all, accept the challenge or say, you know, we still disagree. We've talked about it, you know, just take it away out of my feet. You think it's, it's a good way for couples to start a conversation that they might have not even realized that they needed to have? 
I love this. What a great idea. And I shared how much I uh, love your boxes before, but this is just, yeah, so exciting to hear about because it's like, it's easy to love someone when everything feels great and there's no like conflict or there's no difference. You know, we're all in that flow or hormones are racing. We're like, yes. But then when something may arise, like a difference, it's like, how do we communicate? How do we relate to each other and move through this in like a win-win situation? And by like a win-win, I mean like where our needs are both being met or we're communicating in a way that we feel like heard in this, because this is really what creates deeper intimacy. If we can hold each other through these like waves of perhaps more, um, not challenging, but more, um, I guess perhaps, yeah, challenging is the word, but like not as flowing or juicy conversations when we know each other on those those levels it actually creates a deeper sense of safety for for us to explore even more things because we can hear the partners yes and no we can like know what the boundaries are so then perhaps if you said tantric massage is like oh one of one of the someone is saying like a no it's like what's a yes for you then what, what what's this what is this and then why is that and oh it's something like kink okay what turns you on about this and what it can open up so much and because you've both know that you can trust the other person to say their no or their yes it's like you can go even deeper into your sexual like, exploration here you phrased it beautifully because it's really not about bickering your partner about why it's a no. It's about figuring out what's a yes for them. Yes, I love that. Makes makes subtle sense for me the way you, you phrased it for sure. Something that we are very keen on understanding with every guest that we have is how do you keep your relationship open, exciting and intimate? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. So open exciting and intimate it's a lot <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm just pondering I'm like, what do these mean so for me at this point in my life um, I guess the foundation of this um, for myself is my own authenticity so through my work um, in uh, sexology and psychosexual somatic therapy I've been like on a journey from healing from codependent behaviors with my pre- with partners growing up where I like wouldn't always be my authentic self because I'd want to please the other. So here in terms of like open, it's really about like voicing um, what I want and being okay with if that's how the other responds and not being attached to the response of the other. Just letting letting us both have our, like we were talking about this game earlier, you know, letting us both have our desires and not being attached to that but space to voice it, um, which feels really beautiful. And it then, <laughs> and then exciting. Um, I think my key for this is um, I really I found such benefits from dating people that feel like um, best friends. You know, you've got that that foundation of emotional intimacy underneath it so that even going to the shop can feel exciting even these most basic things can feel exciting because you genuinely have that connection and then it life can kind of feel like an adventure in that way 
um, and it's finding the joy with each other. So that compatibility and that comes through like the thread that we've been weaving today through communication, through those difficult conversations of understanding each other more deeply so that you can like really create that foundation of your relationship container so that life can be exciting and light because you know how to hold each other through the waves of, of relating. And I think the final thing is it was, it was intimate intimacy. Um, Yeah. So this is where, and I guess it ties in with, with open, but it's like, I feel we can only meet others as deeply as we've met ourselves. So it's also a lot of like self work self. Like I have been in therapy myself for, gosh, it must be about seven years or something now. So it's like, even though I'm trained and I have my own business because, well, actually more so because I'm holding a wider expanse of people and going into even deeper topics that it's really, really important to speak, to like seek support from elders and supervisors uh, to hold that. But in terms of like my personal relationship, it's like, when I can do the work on myself, I can meet them more deeply and we can meet each other in a more attuned way and, and really meet in that capacity. Um, yeah. For joy, bliss, happiness, like juiciness. Um, Cause I can feel more open and vulnerable to, to explore that. Madeline, I've absolutely loved our talk and I think that everybody else has loved as well. So if everybody wants to learn more about how to become their better selves, where can they find you? Um, so they can find me on Instagram. Uh, so it's madeleine.munro. Um, that's where I put quite a bit of my free content there. And then I've also got my website, which leads on um, for, so I've kind of got a couple of spaces for one-to-one clients, but that tends to be um, a wait list, uh, which is why I'm currently developing like an online course so to support those that may not be able to afford uh, or be able to wait for one-to-one support, but that's my main avenue. Yeah. Thank you so much, Natalie. By the way, I love your content on Instagram. It's always on point. And I feel that your followers love it too. Well, I don't feel it. I see it because you have a lot of engagements. So congrats on that. It's not, it's not easy. Mm, thank you so much. Yeah, it takes time. And like I was saying, in terms of it's like it mirrors any relationship, it's like that authenticity, knowing ourselves and then showing up as that as we can in the world. For sure. I've loved having you as a guest. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening. 